the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. I would just give the advice that if you don't understand how it works, you probably don't need to roll some dice on it. You know, don't put your money on it if you don't fully understand it. Run your law firm the right way. The right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. To the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Matrix. What's going on, Jim? Tyson, my friend, I'm excited about our guest today. His name is Tom Copeland. He's the marketing director with Craig Goldenfarb, who's a very, very successful plaintiff's attorney down in Florida. I attended last year's seven figure summit that Craig and Tom and his team put on. And I've really come to admire what Craig has built and what Tom is able to do as marketing director. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me here. It's uh, good to talk to you again. I know last time we talked was was at the summit in March, so happy to uh, reconnect with you guys. Thanks for inviting me on. All right, Tom. So tell people, you know, what you do and how you got hooked up with Craig and and what what your role is at the firm. Sure. So as marketing director, I guess I should qualify our firm a little bit. So Craig started his firm about 15 years ago. This is our 15th year anniversary. He's got a pretty interesting story. He has a mentor who he worked with first in Miami, plaintiff's attorney mentor, and uh, he kind of followed that model and kind of made it his own. So over the course of 15 years, Craig started with one employee, and we actually just hired our 52nd employee this past week. His name is Curtis Page, and he happens to be our digital marketing manager. So that's a pretty cool little thing that I'd like to talk about, too, if you think that you guys would be interested in that a little later. So... The way that I came with Craig, though, is that I was actually a freelancer for a couple of years out of college, University of Florida, go Gators, for anybody who's listening. And I started my own freelancing career, and my whole background is in web development, design, and SEO. So I kind of created a little niche for myself where I was working with attorneys. And quite simply, attorneys are people who, in my eyes at that time, had the money to spend. They understood that they needed to spend the money in the marketing, and so it was uh, usually a pretty easy sell. So that's really just what happened. And I ended up working for doing some work for a couple of different attorneys who introduced me to Craig, or Craig had somehow kind of heard of me. And we kind of had a couple of quick meetings and it moved really fast. Craig wanted to bring me on full time. And uh, we went back and forth for a couple of days, but I eventually took it. I took his offer and um, it's been great. That was four years ago. That was 2013, May of 2013. I took the leap of faith and left freelancing and I'm so glad I did. I really have a home here, and Craig's just a wonderful guy. So, yeah, couldn't be happier. 
Craig is a wonderful guy, and you and he and his team have built a really great practice. Tom, explain to our listeners a little bit just about the scope of Craig's building, his practice, sort of how big it is and how the team works. Yeah, sure. So, so really interesting. This firm has gone through some incredible transformations over the four years that I've been here. Craig is a hard worker. He's a dedicated worker. He's a great lawyer, very, very sharp businessman, and he's got some marketing acumen behind him as well. But the one thing that we really kind of struggled with early on was that Craig's the type of guy who tries to do a little too much, right? He tries to do a little, he's got his hands in a little bit of everything. And he started to even realize that he was trying to do too much. So what he did that I think was really smart is that he diversified the responsibilities and brought on some really smart people to start heading up some different departments. And when I started in the marketing department, it was just me. It was one person, only me. And what we did was we took it, we looked at the roles and the responsibilities in marketing and if you think about it, we can break it down a couple of things. First, we're selling, we're marketing our law firm, our brand, and our services, our legal services. But then, underneath that same umbrella, we also have to you know, meet our clients' expectations and meet their needs when they have them. So we also developed a client relations. We also developed a client relations office within, within the marketing department. That's run by a girl named Casey, who's fantastic. Uh, she's been with us. She was uh, about a year before me. So that kind of rounded out the two main parts of the marketing department. But then also, we realized at some point, it doesn't make sense for me to be doing graphic design because it's not my strong suit. Why don't we hire a graphic designer? So we did. We brought on a, a junior graphic designer out of college. And then, as I said, just this past week, um, the last piece of the puzzle that we hadn't filled yet was the digital marketing manager. And this is somebody who handles all things digital. So handling the website, SEO, pay-per-click, social media, and branding online. So... We hired that person, and that effectively created an in-house, what, what I basically describe as an in-house marketing agency, because everything is handled in-house now. That was the last piece of the puzzle. That was the last thing that we were using an agency for. So now, that, it doesn't stop there. Craig's also been very smart and made some really great investments in the last couple of years as well into his litigation department. So our litigation department is headed up by a gentleman named Spencer Coven, who is an excellent and reputable uh, plaintiff's lawyer. He's been with us for a couple of years. And then this is really where it all ties in. The last great hire that he did was Michelle Winfrey, who happens to be our legal administrator, who manages all things admin. So he's got some smart people running in the most important departments of this law firm. And that's really just his ability to be able to spot talent and bring talent on and let that talent, you know, run their own ship. Hey, Tom, most attorneys contract things out, like the digital marketing manager, like SEO, things like that. Why do you all do in-house? Yeah, no, great question. I'm definitely happy to talk about it. So realizing, of course, that bringing things in-house are more expensive, it seems. But, you know, the first thing is, is that it may not be more expensive. So if you think about it, we were able to offset the amount of money that we were paying to an agency to handle our website and all of our pay-per-click. We're able to offset that cost by bringing somebody in. So, you know, at the salary ranges that the digital marketing manager, for example, comes in, you're already offsetting 25 to 30% of it right off the bat, or even more. I think, I think we even end up offsetting like maybe 50 or 60% of it by bringing somebody in-house. So first of all, the cost is not necessarily as prohibitive as, as you might think. The second thing is that I would say that it's, it's buy-in. It's just buy-in. So I'm going to brag real fast about the culture, because um, this does tie into the idea of bringing somebody um, on board in-house. So we really kind of went from a culture of what you might consider to be your most typical law firm, right? So you've got a couple of senior partners, and then you're kind of full of, and then the rest of your staff are, are paralegals, secretaries, and reception and such. 
And um, when Craig came on board, he's kind of an old school guy. You know, he's kind of the guy that if he sees one of his employees on the phone, you know, on the cell phone doing something real fast, he kind of immediately thinks like, was that the wrong person to hire? We have totally flipped that around. That is totally different from where we are now. And it's really a, it's really a result of Michelle. And Michelle came from Disney, actually. She was in telecom and Disney for, for years. So what she was able to bring into this firm is really just a, a turnaround in culture and a culture of trust and a culture of family and a culture of relationship building and team building. So by bringing somebody in-house, you're getting that buy-in from them. You're getting them to buy into our culture and who we are. And as a result, it's going to show through in their work product. With an agency, you know the frustrations of an agency. You've got to constantly call them. You've got to constantly send them emails, ask them to do this, do that. That goes away because when you hire the right digital marketing manager, they're able, they are a manager. Like right there, that's the most important thing. They manage their own workflow. They manage their own products. They manage their own production. So um, when we bring on this digital marketing manager who did just start with us, uh, he's, he's pretty fantastic so far. And really, there hasn't been much training. You know, all the training has really just been in helping to understand who we are in the marketplace, the services we provide, and what we like to do, you know, some of the strategies that I've been using online in terms of SEO and pay-per-click, and then let him run with it. Let him take it. Let him create his own ideas. Let him create his own campaigns. Let him create his own production. And so the time spent, I guess, is the biggest, the biggest benefit is, is the time that's eliminated in going back and forth and speaking with a third-party vendor. Um, the elimination of that is, has got to be worth its weight in gold. It's kind of what we're betting on. Tom, what would you say to someone who's thinking about hiring a marketing director? What are the skill sets or the characteristics that a law firm that sees themselves growing and are thinking about hiring someone to be devoted just to marketing for the firm? What, would, what should they be looking for? So I love this question. I love getting asked this question because I do get asked it often. So my big thing that I love to tell everybody is that when it comes to a really great marketing person, I'm using marketing as a very general term here. When it comes to a really great marketing person, they're always going to have one of two very different skill sets, okay? First one is graphic design. You've got an eye for design. You've got an eye for laying out graphics, for laying out colors, for visualizing and creating visual pieces. So that might be somebody who can come in and create some beautiful print marketing collateral for you, let's say if you're a, if you're a corporate law firm or if you're doing corporate law or real estate law. You know, maybe print collateral is something that's, that's really important to you. Bring on that uh, graphic designer, somebody who has just the background in graphic design. They don't necessarily have to be a graphic designer, but that's their core competency is graphic design. So that's kind of like the first box is you're either a graphic designer or, very generally speaking, again, you're a writer. Graphics or writing. Those are the two main base skill sets that any great marketer has. And I think if you think about that and start to think about some of the great marketers that you know, you might be able to place them in a bucket, one of the others. Because the thing is, is that the other responsibilities that come with being a marketing director, they can all blend into one of those two things. If you're a really, really great writer, then doing SEO and creating web content and creating search engine marketing content, okay, and doing the kind of content that you need to do to like become a thought leader, for example, and publishing content and getting it out there, that's where the writer comes into place. The graphic designer comes into place when it comes out to laying out all of your all of your graphics and your branding and making sure that you have a cohesive brand, not only offline but online as well, um, and vice versa. So that's the best advice I always like to give when you're interviewing somebody. If you're thinking of bringing on a marketing person, just ask yourself first and foremost, what is it that I would want first? Do I want a writer? Do I care about SEO? Do I, do I care about pay-per-click? 
Do I care about online advertising? Do I care about social media? That's your writer. If that's not what you need, if you're thinking, we have a nice website, we have all that, what I need is I need somebody who can come in and who can create really stunning, fantastic visuals for me, create great PowerPoints, create uh, print collateral like we talked about with the brochures and the flyers and the folders. Then you want to look for that graphic designer. And then what you do is you fill the rest of the pieces in because anybody who's good at any one of those two things can do the other thing, just not as well. It's the core competency that matters, identifying what the core competency is and then hiring for that. Tom, I'm just so curious, like, what your day looks like. So let's say you, you walk in the office this morning, um, assume you're not doing a podcast. Like, what is your day like? <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. So, uh, so my day is pretty fantastic, man. I, I do love my day. So I will come in and I will generally kind of assess the day. There are some people out there that make the argument that you shouldn't check your emails throughout the day. Um, I mostly agree with that. I don't. But what I do like to do is the first thing I like to do is just go through the emails and just see. It helps me prioritize what needs to happen today. So I like to do that. That'll help me figure out if I need to be putting the digital marketing manager on this particular campaign that we talked about, making sure that he's following through the things that we spoke about either the day before or that week. Also with the graphic designer that we have on-house, making sure that she's fulfilling all of the responsibilities that have been placed on her. And that might be something from me. It might be something from the digital marketing manager might be something from client relations, or it might be something from any of the other 50 staff we have. Attorneys, paralegals, they're always looking for different pieces of marketing materials uh, that they either need to you know, uh, reorder or, or restock up on, or maybe it's a new idea for something. So it's a lot of managing. I mean, a lot of my day is now we're structured in a way where I'm doing less of the actual work, and I'm more managing the workflows and the work processes, which really is perfect for me for a couple of reasons. I can obviously do the work, and I have been doing the work up to the point where we started hiring more people into the marketing department, but I'm more of a big-picture visual guy. I'm the 30,000-foot view guy. So if I get wrapped up into creating a landing page for the firm, I'm going to end up spending all day on it. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to be the guy who's doing the building of the landing page that day that we want to build. It makes a whole lot more sense for me to just manage that process of our digital marketing manager doing it. So that's most of my day. I'm also consulted with a lot throughout the day with other attorneys. So one of the things that we've also been able to do with having an in-house marketing department is we actually help the attorneys create really powerful PowerPoints and visuals and presentations for their critical mediations. So imagine a big case, like a big important case that's coming up, a death case, for example. We create powerful visuals for those mediations, and we have seen success and defense attorneys coming to mediations with one number in mind, and then they see that PowerPoint and that video and what we create where it's just, it's raw and it's emotional, and they see what we create, and they get back on their phones with their bosses and say, we need more money. So we've, we've seen it happen. It's, 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 it's really cool. It's really fun. And that's just something that comes along with being able to have an in-house marketing department that you may not think about, you know, if you didn't have them. So it's a lot of consulting with a lot of attorneys as well. And I'm actually, you know, going back to that quick conversation about, you know, do you hire the graphic designer? Do you hire the writer? I'm actually the writer. That's the bucket I fall into. So I do spend some of my day writing. We do our newsletters, of course. I write all of that content. I enjoy writing content for the website. I enjoy rewriting content and creating new content for the website and also doing those thought leader pieces for all of our different attorneys. We have uh, six of them, actually. So at any given time, you know, we might be pushing one of them through to the web, you know, we might be pushing one of them through as a thought leader on some, something. So my day, it's a long one. It's definitely a long one. It definitely starts early. 
but it's really a matter of the, the day is spent managing processes and managing workflows for the entire team here in the marketing department. We're talking with Tom Copeland. He's the marketing director for attorney Craig Goldenfarb. And Tom, what kind of metrics or key performance indicators do you guys track of where your cases are coming from? And what might be an unexpected tip or idea our listeners might not know about as far as where cases can come from? Yeah, great question. So the way that we track our metrics, it's kind of holistic and then it's kind of quantitative. It's a little bit of both. So very simply, the process is that we ask our clients when they call our, our, I guess our leads when they call for the first time, they're asked by our intake coordinators, which is another separate department for intake. All they do is just phone calls in and uh, they ask. It's really that simple. Now, once they ask, we mark that down in our system. And then when we get them to come in and sign some paperwork, or when we go to them to sign paperwork, we actually ask them again. And a lot of times they don't even realize that they get asked twice. They don't even realize it. And that comes through because that's evidence because they might give two different answers. They might say TV on one, and they might say, well, I found you on the web on the other. Now, here's the cool part. That's kind of the holistic part. The cool part is that because the majority of our leads do come from the web, I have all kinds of tracking systems and operations in place to sort of follow them around, so to speak. So very simply, we use a lot of different tracking numbers. I'll actually use different tracking numbers for different campaigns in the web. So the website has a specific number. Facebook page has a specific number. Google My Business has a specific number. You see where I'm going. And then we actually have a, a system here in-house that does track phone calls in and out. So that's most of what happens. If we kind of take the holistic approach, and we kind of take the analytical approach and put it together. You know, key performance metrics that we really care about so I've got a list of probably, I don't know, maybe 12 of them that have kind of developed. They're proprietary in the sense of I've sort of thought them through and worked them through, and they work for us, and they give me some insight. I'll give you an example. So what I call our, our conversion rate is very simply put, it's all the cases that we've accepted for the month divided by all of the leads. Very simple. It's just telling you how many of the people that called in actually signed paperwork and became clients. But I take it a little bit deeper. I'll also check into it three months later or so, and I want to see which one of those cases dropped out, which one did we dismiss, or which cases did we discharge because of some insurance issue or something. And then we try to see, is there a pattern there? Is there a pattern with people that we're dismissing? And we found patterns. We've actually found patterns in insurance defense companies. You know, we see like certain, certain companies we obviously, we end up discharging. So that's one of them. And I call that the effective conversion ratio. I actually go back and I look at, okay, so we had however many cases that month. Now, how many are still in-house? That's an effective conversion ratio. Like I said, I've probably got 12 others too that we kind of look at on a regular basis. And then we look at everything from Google Analytics and we get real deep into Google Analytics. And then we get into Google Tag Manager and we actually have, I might get a little technical here, so I'll, I'll be careful about that. We actually have our website loaded up in a way to where anything that happens on the website, we know what's happened with it. And we know what you've done before you call our tracking number. So I know what pages you've been to. I know how long you spent on those pages. I can even tell. I can get down to even more granular. I can get down to where you click. You don't necessarily go that granular, but we may, you know, as we bring on our new digital marketing manager where he might be able to do that. Something as far as unexpected goes, I'll tell you what. We look at the breakdown of all of our different referral sources. And some of them, like we said, were web. Some are TV. And then a lot of them are referred by other people. That's a really really important category. So if you think about your category of referred by current or former clients, 
What you're basically saying is somebody has vouched and said, I use this law firm and they referred. It's actually a current or former client. It's actually a former client who referred a new case to us. That is one of the most important referral sources for us to track, mostly because we want to know, it gives us an idea of what our sentiment is among our current and former clients. Are they happy? You know, if current and former clients as a referral source is high for a particular stretch of a couple of months, that's really, really good. If it's really, really low, we might need to look at something. Now, fortunately, it hasn't really been very low. It's actually been the opposite. We just keep watching it go up, which is fantastic. But also importantly is that we're using the whole, when you get that, when, when you're getting a lot of referrals by other people, specifically by current or former clients, what you're doing is you're being told that you guys got the whole package. You've got the marketing in place. You've got the actual work on the case in place because they're happy with the work that you're doing on the case. And then at the exit, and when the case is over and finished, you've made that impression on them. So we watch that one very, very closely. And ironically enough, we don't spend a dollar on it, right? I mean, we don't spend a penny on it. That's our one referral source that is totally free and totally organic, but it becomes a really, really important one. So I really encourage everybody out there who's listening don't just think about the kind of referrals you're getting. Don't just think about, you know, am I getting a lot of referrals? Actually get in there and find out if you can. Find out how many referrals are we getting from current or former clients. And not only that, it's really important to watch the trends. We don't really care. You know, you could look right now at your one month, but what does your one month mean if you got 20% of your cases referred to you by current or former clients? What does that mean if not compared to all other months? So not just doing it one time, that's not really enough. It's not really going to tell you anything. It's doing it over the course of time to spot the trends. Um, I've got a interesting question for you. So it may take you a second to think about it. So take your time if you need to. So I want you to go back to your days as a freelancer and pretend that a a new attorney just started the new firm, and she she says, "I've got a thousand dollars to spend. How do I use it? What advice do you give her?" Yeah, that's, that's a fun question. Um, that's the kind of question that gets me excited to be in marketing, um, especially in legal marketing. So what do you do with $1,000? Well, you know what? I'd say that there's a lot you can do with it, to be honest. But let me give you a really, really simple one that I know works. And this might surprise your listeners. This might surprise you guys out there. I would take that $1,000 and I would say, don't hire me. Don't hire me. Here's what you should do with that $1,000 instead. Go through your Rolodex. Start making some calls to some friends, family, partners, colleagues, vendors, everybody that you can think of that could potentially refer a case to you. And take that $1,000 and break it up over the course of the next six months and make a plan to invite people out to lunch. Take that $1,000 and spend it on lunch with people. Get face-to-face. There is nothing that's going to create a quicker and more robust return on your investment than getting face-to-face with people. Again, so long as you do it over the course of, let's say, six months. So I would take that $1,000 and I would do the math real fast to find out, you know, how much can you spend per day on a lunch? And if it turns out that you can, you know, your average lunch is maybe 40 bucks. Okay, great. So $40 and then break that out over six months. And maybe that might mean that two times a week you're going to be going to lunch with somebody. Somebody that you don't know is the key. Don't go out with your friends. Don't go out with your wife. Go out with somebody you don't know, or you just have a very casual acquaintance relationship with. But the key is that somebody who's showed interest in you, somebody who's shown interest in your work, and at least knows you well enough to accept a lunch from you, right? At least knows you well enough to say, yeah, of course, let's go out to lunch, let's talk. And then what you do is you make that ask. At some point in lunch, when it's going well, you make that ask towards the end. You say, look, I'm looking for referrals. We really want to build up a referral business. If you know anybody who needs a lawyer, please think of me. 
You just got to make the ask. It's really that simple. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be aggressive. It can be very casual, and it can be that simple. But the point is that you make the ask. So funny enough, that's what I would do. I wouldn't put a dollar into that. I wouldn't put a dollar of that thousand dollars into anything digital marketing. I wouldn't because A, it's not going to go very far. And B, fairly, you're only competing with anybody else out there who's only spending $1,000 on digital marketing, which is nobody. So therefore, it doesn't make sense to do that. I would say build some face-to-face relationships and get back to some old school tactics of just getting in front of people and just getting your face out there. Tom, let's flip that around a little bit. Has there been a marketing tactic or trick that you thought for sure was going to really work well and that just sort of fell flat? Yeah, there has been. And I'm going to share the biggest one with you guys. So you've definitely heard of uh, geotargeting, quote unquote geotargeting. I know your listeners have. You guys have seen this before. It's the idea that wherever you go with your mobile phone, wherever you go with your mobile phone, you get sort of marked and you get sort of fenced in, so to speak, like a digital fence on you. And you can have ads served to you during that time. Okay, here's the thing. I don't see how this has any bearing whatsoever in personal injury law. Now, in other types of law, yeah, maybe. Immigration, for example, Jim, for you, you know, you might be able to identify some physical locations where geotargeting anybody who happens to be in that in that location, you know, maybe may see your ad, for example. I don't know what that would be, but I bet if you thought about it, you'd be able to come up with a few of them. But for personal injury law, it's just it's not there because frankly, anybody can get into an accident. Anybody can fall. Anybody can get into a car accident and anybody can become the victim of negligent death or, or nursing home, which those are our four things. So we don't really have anything to geotarget. I mean, I've tried actually geotargeting nursing homes, but what I found is that it's not very effective because it's just it's not intelligent enough. The technology is not intelligent enough. The technology has no way to no way to differentiate between, you know, an employee of that location and somebody who happens to be in that location. Furthermore, there's some things about geotargeting that people don't tell you that a lot of people don't understand. One of the most important things is that it's not like your phone is just always giving off a beacon. It doesn't work like that. Your phone is not just like this constantly on beacon that's just beeping out your location everywhere you go. It's not like that. What ends up happening, the way that the technology works, is that throughout the day, different apps on your phone are taking snapshots of where you are. It's a blip. Think of it like a click. It's just a click where you're at right now. It just marked your location. Now some time goes by, at some point later on in the day, boom, it takes another click. Where are you at now? And what it does is it, it does that to create a picture of your day, so to speak. Does that make sense? So it's looking to see where you've been all day. And then the systems, the algorithms, make a determination on, okay, if they were at this place, which is new, they've never been there before, you know, might go into that bucket. But they were at this one location that we've seen them be at for lots and lots of hours at a time. So that must be home or that must be work. But it doesn't necessarily know exactly where you're at. Now, the technology is getting better. It's starting to get better. It's starting to get to the point where you can say, I want to target everybody who's been to an auto zone in the last 30, 30 days, you know, an auto zone retail shop. I don't know if you guys have that up there. And if that's the case, great, put them into this bucket. Let me serve some apps to them. But the biggest fallacy I've seen in that the technology is just not quite there, number one. And number two, the other problem with this is that there are so many companies out there that do this stuff, and I don't know if any of them actually do it. So we actually do it in-house because I also have a background in programmatic buying. So we've been doing geotargeting. I've been doing it myself for about two years, and I really have yet to see anything real concrete or solid come out of it because, A, I think the technology is not quite sophisticated enough yet 
and B, the expense is ridiculous, and I'm cutting out the middleman. I'm doing it myself. I'm going straight to the to the marketplaces for these things and buying them for the firm. I don't use it. I don't use an agency, so it's even less than others, and I'm still not really seeing a return on it. So I don't know what you what your experience has been with that, guys. Does do you guys have any experience with the geotargeting thing? I've not done any geotargeting. What about you, Jimmy? No, I haven't. Yeah, you know, it's just it's so new. But but let me ask you this though: Have you guys gotten the emails? from like firms soliciting to tell you that, you know, we do geotargeting? Yeah, I have for sure. Yeah, all the time, time, right? And how many different companies? What, four, five, six of them? It seems like every week I get a new email from a different company I've never heard of, right? Never heard of them, but they're telling me that they got geotargeting products from me. And, And I don't know, man. I'm just, maybe it's just the skeptic in me, but how is it that all of those guys are so good at geotargeting, but they're soliciting using emails to random lawyers? <laughs> it just doesn't, good. It just doesn't add up. It just doesn't add up to me. So you know, I'll, just be careful out there, guys. If you're getting talked about geotargeting, you want to give it a shot. I've heard of a couple lawyers saying, "Yeah, we'll give it a shot. We'll put some some couple grand on it. We'll see what happens." Just be careful. I mean, there's a lot of other easier ways to create a return on your marketing dollar than something that you don't understand. I would just give the advice that if you don't understand how it works, you probably don't need to roll some dice on it. You know, don't 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 put your money on it if you don't fully understand it. Because I'm a technical guy, I got a technical background, and I'm actually doing the work. And I am telling you, it is it is complicated for me. And I spend my I spend my full time day on this stuff. That's a really good piece of advice, Tom. Hey, one other thing that we wanted to be sure to mention was the Seven Figure Summit. Tom and Craig are working real hard on getting that ready with Michelle, and I know it's going to be a, a great event. I I drove down with the boys to Florida last year for spring training, and then I swung by to see Craig and it was it was a great day of learning. I got a got a lot of good takeaways and that's where I first met Tom and Craig. Tom, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's next and, and how our listeners can get involved? We'll do, yeah, thanks. So the Seven Figure Attorney Summit is uh, a seminar uh, that Craig Goldenfarb and I created and the um, precipice for it was just that we've been to a lot of marketing and, and operations and business seminars for lawyers and we've always been pretty bored by them. We really wanted to, to fold in some new concepts that we've learned from the last 15 years or that Craig's learned from the last 15 years, my concepts that, and systems that I've built here in the marketing department over the last four years, and also Michelle Winfrey, who I mentioned earlier, who's our uh, admin, what she's been able to do in terms of organizational processes and team building here. So it's actually three-pronged. The summit is about, it's a full day. Um, we're doing it in Orlando. It's going to be at the Rosen Shingle Creek Hotel. Our next event is on November 30th. So that's this coming up November 30th in Orlando. It's a full-day seminar, and we touch on the business of law, creating a law firm and thinking about your law firm as a business. We touch on marketing, which is my section, of course. And then we touch on organizational structuring, which is Michelle's section, and also team building, which is Michelle's section as well. It's really cool, man. We've had a blast doing it. We don't make – we actually lose money on this. I always like to say that. Uh, because we actually charge $4.99 for it. That's it. It's only $4.99. And uh, you also get, if you needed any other reasons, you also get six CLE credits by the Florida Bar. So we actually lose money on this. We just love doing it because we love talking about this stuff. We love what we do here at the Law Offices of Craig Goldenfarb. And we just want to share it because, frankly, if you guys get something out of this summit and you make your law firm a little bit better, you make your processes a little bit better, and you make a little bit more money, a rising tide lifts all boats, in our opinion. And we should be out there doing these kinds of things and always trying to strive and be better because, you know, legal services, man, we've got to stay competitive and we've got to stay relevant. 
to the public. And that's really kind of what this is all about. It's about bringing some like-minded lawyers together for a day, have a little fun, learn some interesting stuff, and uh, get yourself some CLE credits. So just to wrap that up, that's November 30th. That's a Thursday. We start about 7 a.m. We're done by about 3, nice and easy, in and out, in Orlando at the Rosen Shingle Creek Hotel. You can actually sign up for that anytime at sevenfigureattorney.com, and that's uh, seven spelled out, sevenfigureattorney.com. Great. That's perfect. We've got to wrap things up because we're up against the time. Jimmy, before we get to your hack of the week, I do want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook group, join Facebook group, get involved in the discussion there. Also, give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. If you like our podcast, uh, we hope that you do because you're listening to it. So if you do, hit pause, go give us the the five-star review. Uh, It really helps our numbers. Uh, Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? All right. So for my hack of the week, I've spoken before about Joe Pelosi and Content Inc., which is a great book. And I just finished their second book, which is Killing Marketing, which I really enjoyed um, both of the books and I got a lot out of them. But I've also started following their blog, which is obviously free. And they just do a really nice job of formatting their blog post embedded in each blog post in a in a not salesy, uh, but just a very easy kind of way. They have like automated tweets where if you click on it, it'll link to your Twitter account and tweet it out. They also do a really nice job of creating a little placard or JPEG to go with each blog post. So on social media, they have a very visually appealing interface. So I would really recommend that our listeners check out that blog. You can get it if you type in Content Marketing Institute, it'll take you straight to their blog and you can see the way that they post. And it's just a real uh, visually appealing delivery of information and the information they have is rock solid. I've gotten a ton out of it already. Tom, so we always ask our guests to give a tip of the week. Do you have a tip for us? Yeah, I'll throw one out there. So a book I just finished was a book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers. Malcolm is a, uh, he's an economist. Uh, I think maybe at the University of Chicago. He's fantastic. I mean, he just wrote this incredible book. And this book, well, he writes a lot of books, but his most recent one, Outliers, New York Times bestseller, it's all about understanding that exponential success, I guess, and the people in this world who, who have achieved exponential success. So you think of like your Steve Jobs, you think of, and he even goes back into like the 1800s, you think of like the, uh, you think of like the captains of industry. It, it's, it's more than just the fact that they did hard work. It's so many other things and variables that come together, like timing, like resources, like understanding that there's an idea here that nobody else has thought about. It's really awesome. He gives a lot of really cool stories on that. So if you haven't checked that out, please do. Very good book. Anything by Malcolm Gladwell is just amazing. I, I, I love and, Malcolm and Gladwell. I'll, and I'll throw one more out there too. Anything by Seth Godin. If you guys, definitely, yeah, you guys know Seth. Listeners, check out Seth Godin. He does a really good job of taking marketing concepts and making them really simple and relatable. So check that out too. If you're struggling with this whole marketing thing and it's kind of over your head, check out his books. Again, that's Seth Godin. He's got some good stuff out there. Definitely, definitely. All right, so my tip of the week is going to be a book as well, and I. I'm actually sort of embarrassed we have not recommended this to this point. It's Built to Last by Jim Collins, uh, who's also written uh, Good to Great. It is a foundational book is what I will call it. And it's it's a book that we don't really mention a whole lot, but it, I, I definitely recommend you reading through it's, it. I'll be honest with you, it's a little dense, it's a little thick, but Jim Collins really breaks it down on, on really – building a company that's going to last a hundred years. I mean, it's, it's a really, really good book. So highly recommend it. 
Um, I remember I had to read this book in, in uh, undergrad, and I've always kept the book. I've got the original copy I've always had, and it was it's just such a really good book, and it breaks down you know, what what you need to do when it comes to core principles and everything else. I and mean, it really just breaks it down from a foundational perspective. So give it a look. It's really good or listen to it if you want to, if you want to do it on a Audible or something like that. But uh, Tom, thanks for coming on. It's been a great episode. I, I really appreciate it. Tyson, Jim, thanks, guys. It's always great to talk to you. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, more content. Go to MaximumLawyer.com Have a great week and catch you next time.